0: But did you have any surprises that first year as a coach? Anything that really snuck up on you that you weren't expecting?
1: I wasn't expecting how much I'd love it.
0: Hello, and welcome to Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix where the water is always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain.
2: We're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches and coxswains in a podcast designed to savor a real life experience from launch to seat at every level.
0: We're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready.
2: Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with Tom Rooks, director of rowing at Williamsburg Boat Club. He told us about his fun first mantra and explained how he prepares his juniors athletes to be better humans beyond the boathouse. Tom began coaching after 22 years in the US Coast Guard and shared his authentic philosophy about vulnerability, resiliency, and saving lives. Our conversation also slid into tangents about Foo Fighters frontman Dave Grohl, Ultimate Frisbee, and Vikings.
0: If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, would you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. If you are a rower or coxswain in the United States who's ever thought, I want to start coaching, where's the first place you think to turn? U.S. Rowing, right? A U.S. Rowing Level 1, 2, or 3 coaching certification speaks volumes and opens doors. But did you know that it's not the only coaching education option?
2: The Advanced Certificate in Rowing Leadership at the Institute for Rowing Leadership is an intense one-year coaching education program offered by Community Rowing Inc. in Boston. It provides students opportunities to gain the knowledge, skills, and abilities required a master rowing coach.
0: The IRL is the only accredited U.S. coaching education program in rowing ever.
2: Wow. It sounds like such an amazing opportunity. I mean, who wouldn't like to take a whole year of your life, move to Boston, especially in the fall, gorgeous, and go to 16 to 20 hours a week of coaching education. I mean, dreamy, right?
0: It it sounds like an amazing opportunity. Uh, You know, I, I wish that this was something that I that a existed like 15 years ago when I was first thinking about coaching, sure. um, I probably would have jumped at the opportunity to go up to Boston. Um, uh, you know, you and I talk a whole lot about like getting to know what you need to know as a coach <laughs> and right. how so often it's learned on the fly.
2: Right. Trial by fire. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a cu- culture piece that we talk about a lot in rowing. A coaching culture that it's like you know we talk about it in this episode again here's the keys to your launch here's your roster and good luck mm-hmm. um and i think that you and i also are just i feel like we're rowing aficionados i used to use the word nerd but i think now we can call ourselves aficionados but we spend a lot of time diving deep into this sport and diving deep into what makes athletes successful because we do come at it from a coach's perspective and from a, a leadership perspective Uh, We're not just masters rowers. You know, we have a lot of experience and a lot of interests. And I think any time we can sit around with other people and talk rowing in this kind of holistic way, who wouldn't want to spend a whole year doing that and just hanging out with like-minded people um, and especially in a beautiful city like Boston.
0: Yeah. And, and I, for me, I don't know what this says about me, but I feel like I can never learn enough about rowing. I feel like there are things that I have picked up along the way. I have gotten my level one and level two U.S. rowing coaching certification. Same here, yeah. You know, I've been to uh, a couple of rowing talks, which used to be held at the uh, Washington College in Maryland. Um, You know, and lots of other things. I've done lots of like one day uh, conferences and listened to all sorts of people speak. But sometimes I feel like, it just kind of goes in one ear out the other, or I pick up one little nugget. That's really fantastic. And I try and incorporate that into my rowing coaching life, but I've never really felt like, you know, I know, I know the majority of what I want to know about rowing and I feel like to IRL it's like, you are getting a fire hose of information about growing and coaching.
2: Right. And you know what? Honestly, I would not trust a coach who said, yeah, I'm good. I'm yeah, done. I'm good. I'm, <laughs> I've got everything figured out. Yeah. Those coaches, they think that they're instilling some sense of credibility or confidence in their athletes by saying, no, no, don't worry. I know everything. I've got it. When in fact, to me, that just is a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. That's a massive red flag that they're arrogant that they're closed off, that they're not someone who's approachable, that what they say goes. And that is a really old school mentality. That's not a holistic rowing approach or a whole athlete approach is something we've also talked about. The whole athlete approach. Um, Yeah, I would not trust a coach who said, I got it all figured out. I'd be like, (laughs) I know it all. Moving on.
0: (laughs) So so the thing that really intrigued you and I about- uh, CRI's IRL program is just that it you commit a year you're basically saying I'm going to school for a year to learn about coaching and how to do this right and you ha- has to hit just the right moment in your life you have to decide that you can make it work that you can either drop everything that you were doing or change your plans or move to Boston um but I will say upfront, because we have spoken now with a couple of folks from the IRL who, who open the door to the possibility that maybe some of their, their education will be offered online. And my fingers are crossed because I would love to take advantage of those sorts of virtual opportunities.
2: Yeah, I think even if they could come up with some sort of a la carte method, like mm-hmm. people could voyeuristically be involved, but I also get the idea of the human interaction and yeah. being in a cohort and being a group of eight or ten people that do the program all at the same time. You're yeah. all slogging through it together. That you're all trying to make it work. Um, but I, I, what I was thinking of when we had our interview was, um, you know, Harvard University offers courses online. I mean, you could actually audit a course at, at Harvard or at some aspirational place um, and just be an observer, you know? And I thought, well, what if they mm. just offered sort of an aquarium version, mm. you know, <laughs> like wildlife that's- zoo version of like, oh, we could sit in on a CRI IRL program. I mean, it's also kind of great advertising for them huh. too. So oh,
0: yeah, um, that's an interesting idea.
2: Yeah. Or, you know, do a compounded, you know, five day, at Craftsbury version, you know, mm-hmm. I'd be down with that. Like, mm-hmm. why not? Anyway, it's, it's great. But I think you and I, at the end of the day, we've never gotten tired of talking about
0: rowing and we've, we're still doing it a year and a half later. Yeah. Um, yeah. So cool. on this, ep- so this episode, uh, we wanted to learn more about CRI, the IRL, and we were able to sit down and talk with uh, CB Sands Bohr, the senior manager of coach education at CRI as well as Mitch McManus, who, is, uh, who graduated in class of 2019 from the IRL and is now the newly named rowing director and head coach of Shrewsbury High School in Massachusetts.
2: So cool. So I hope everybody enjoys this episode. Um, Rachel and I really had a fun time tracking down a CRI fellow uh, fellows, alums and uh, learning more about this program. Up first, let's meet C.B. Sands Borer, Senior Manager of Coach Education at Community Rowing Inc. in Boston, Massachusetts. And we just want to acknowledge all of the cred that you bring to this conversation. So you have 30 plus years of rowing and coaching experience, an eight-time national team member, two-time world champion gold medalist, and a member of the National Rowing Foundation Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think you're our first Hall of Famer. <laughs> Woo-hoo. So one thing Rachel and I love to talk about uh, is rowing origin stories. But in, specifically, we want to know what was going on in your life that led you to rowing. Do you remember? Um.
3: Well, I mean, I was always, um, you know, I was always doing sports growing up. I had a, a my dad was just into it with all of, his, all of his kids. Like he couldn't be happier than kind of watching you play whatever it was you played. So, um, and there were five of us. So, you know, my mother was like, take them and get you <laughs> doing stuff. And she'll say that, she'll say, I just handed them over to your father sometimes and he took you out and did stuff. But, um, so just, you know, coming from a family, which, which was, you know, I'm pre, I'm not pre, I am just after Title IX. Um, I graduated from high school in 1978. I'm 61. Um, but I will say that thinking back on it, I mean, the the experience in high school was definitely pre-Title IX. Like, we didn't get, you know, our, we maintained our own field hockey field. You know, the the football team got their field maintained and the basket, you know, whatever. Um, So it it definitely was pre-Title IX, but um, actually my high school field hockey coach, you can Google her, Maggie McLaughlin just recently (laughs) died and she has a fabulous obituary. And um, she was probably my favorite um, athletic experience really of my life. You know, just somebody who was really just super fun and super supportive of a lot of just working class families, kids, you know, just playing field hockey. So when I went to college, which uh, I went to Smith. um, So then you don't have to worry about Title IX anymore because all the money goes to the ladies,
2: All all the ladies, all the time at Smith. Yes, All the ladies, all the time.
3: It wasn't until my junior year that somebody got me to do some, uh, you know, what do they call it? Recreational um rowing class on Paradise Pond on Smith Ooh. campus, which is like maybe a hundred yards long. I don't even know.
0: It's not that big. I've been there. <laughs> not that I've seen it. I've seen it. I was just I've seen it. ask it's... you, where did you row?
3: Teeny, <laughs> it's teeny. So I and I loved it. I just remember thinking like this is like I'd been a i had been I was a swimmer in, in college and um uh I remember thinking like, oh, this is what it's like to like practice. Like, I mean, I, oh. I, I, I don't know why I didn't do field hockey in college. I just went back. I, th- I thought I was a better swimmer than a field hockey player. I think I did both sports for my junior year, and then my senior year, I just, um, I just rowed, and so- then Kathy Keeler was my rowing coach, um, senior year. And, um, she told a few of us like, oh, you should try out for the national team. And we're like, you know, we're just dummies. We don't, we don't even know this thing. The national team exists. So we did. And well, there you
2: go. <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so a um, couple of us made it. So yeah. with what, you had a year, two years under your belt? Two and... years. Okay. Two years. Yeah. Hey, do you, and
2: just a quick aside, do you still row? I do. Yeah. Okay. Great. I Are still, you with the
3: CRI competitive? I row for Cambridge Boat Club, that's where I'm. I'm a member of Cambridge Boat Club, which I've been a member of Cambridge for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, something like that. Ever since I moved up here, back to Boston.
0: So when did you start thinking about coaching? You know, I was always a little bit interested in it,
3: even when I was still, even when I wasn't coaching, you know, I had a couple friends. I lived in New Haven for a while and I had a friend, I don't know if you know, Mitts Carr. And, you know, she was looking for some coaching. So I would sometimes, I think we went out in a double sometimes. And I did a training plan for her from time to time. And it was just always something that was interesting to me. So, and we, well, then my, well, my husband coaches, I don't know if you know that, but he's the head men's coach at Boston University. And, um, and actually now my, one of my daughter's coaches, she's the assistant coach at Harvard for the women at Radcliffe. And, um, you know, my father, he had his own business and he was a hockey coach. I was always kind of interested in it. And then I think when I started, when I quit my sort of full-time permanent uh, corporate job um, and I had more flexibility, that's when I started coaching at CRI.
2: It sounds like you also like, uh, I know Rachel and I both grew up Post-Title IX, I was born the year of Title IX and uh, enjoyed not as much as my nieces who've come oh, in yeah. the last 20 years. They they really enjoy all of those uh, benefits, but I know the people that stood out for me in my life as as mentors and leaders weren't necessarily teachers or my own family. It was athletic coaches, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you also had a great experience with a with a field hockey coach. Um, whereas, and also your family grew up around coaches, around sport, and you could see the magic of a good coach with a good team. And can you talk about the relationship of what a great coach can do, um, for an athlete? Yeah. I mean, I think
3: if you're talking about high school athletes, um, you know, I think your role is not necessarily to. You know tell them what to do in terms of their career but you know let them see their ability to um, to accomplish that you know that it's not you know sometimes i think kind of going back to what we were talking about coaches spiraling up i think a lot of kids see themselves and um they feel like they get pigeonholed pretty quickly especially nowadays to mm-hmm. i'm this kind of an athlete and we're like, and actually Cambridge Bowl Club, even though we're a very competitive program, we take everybody, you know, we don't, we don't need people to already be great athletes. We just need somebody who wants to be better than whatever it is they are now. And we don't really worry about the end point at all. We're here to have fun. You know, if this is not fun, then you, should, you shouldn't keep coming. But it looks like you're having fun. <laughs> like you're,
2: you're like, that's me. what fun looks like. By the yeah. way, <laughs> you know, some people are so sort of removed from fun. And our Got last it. podcast episode is Tom Rooks um, from Williamsburg Book Club, and he's a fun first guy. It has um, fun. It it's a great, but you know, how many people have come through programs where it's just miserable? Yeah. It's just a grind. You know, both oh. Rachel and, then, and I have experienced do, that.
3: We do joke around sometimes and say it doesn't have to be fun to be fun. Yeah. Uh,
2: one of my all-time favorite quotes. Yeah, right.
3: It's not. It doesn't. You know, fun just sometimes look like looks like a really hard workout.
2: Is that something that is at the heart of the CRI IRL program too? Just a joyful experience and making the coaching experience joyful. Because okay.
3: uh, I think at its heart, yes, I think at its heart, the IRL experience is. Is really trying to, you know, get, get coaches to come who, um, you know, they are gonna learn about uh, nutrition and, and physiology and biomechanics and some of these harder topics, but they're gonna learn them in a thoughtful, um, supportive environment. We want them to be up to to experience it in a positive way so that they can go out and bring that through their team and be community builders whether that's at a division one team you know whether it's men's or women's d1 or whether they're going to coach at a place like cri and want to focus on learn to row or any other program
2: and there's but- no requirements um could we just talk a little bit about what the eligibility is there eligibility to get into the program or is it just you should you can take a year off and you can pay the fee and you can participate fully. And that's the only requirement. Yeah,
3: That's really the only requirement. You don't even have to Mm -hmm. have already been coaching. One of the things that everybody always mentions about the IRL is the networking, because we try to make sure that wherever you go, whatever resources you need, you have somebody that you can call and, and kind of through the process of the IRL, just get to know that, I really don't know any coach who, if you called them and said, I need, I need some advice or some help on whatever the topic is. Everybody always says yes. Right. I mean, have you ever called someone and have them said no, right. not going to talk to you about that. They, they always say yes. The networking is a big part of it. In the past, the IRL has been described as kind of drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> um, it has been described as a year of suffering Um, And we don't want it to be that, so we are going to make some changes to the IRL this year to or starting in it starts up again in fall 2022. And basically, we think that there are some classes we can condense, and there are some classes that we might make optional and a simple example might be we have a class on boat repair. There are some people who really are going to go into a career where they don't need to repair boats. So we have some classes that we're gonna make optional and have them be available to IRL fellows post-graduation. Um, and then there are some classes that we think we can condense slightly and it really varies by instructors. We don't wanna fill it with information that's not useful because you drink from a fire hose, there's a lot of water that gets wasted, which means people aren't really learning everything that they should learn. And we also wanna be cognizant of, you know, coaching is a stressful career. And we shouldn't be encouraging that. <laughs> we should be trying to have people flip the switch and say, How can I make this so it's a less stressful situation?
0: Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Steady State Network and on Twitter at Steady State Row. Sign up for our e newsletter and become a patron at steadystatenetwork.com.
2: Get bonus steady state content early access to podcast episodes, and store discounts when you join our Patreon community for as little as $5 a month. Become a patron today at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon.
0: In two, we're back talking about coaching education. That's one, two. So that fire hose, that that fire hose notion comes from the fact that IRL students are taking what 16 to 20 hours of classroom uh, work a week, and on top of that, they're also coaching, right?
3: Mm-hmm. And they they're coaching, and they need to support themselves, and they need to pay their IRL bills. And what we're trying to do, I mean. Um, If you think of what the CRI mission is, it's always been kind of summarized as rowing for all. And what we're trying to do with the IRL that's different now is make it more reflective and supportive of the mission. mission. Um, So the simple simple way to think of it is coaching for all. That how can we make sure that we attract um, a more diverse group of coaches to the IRL experience because as I said in the past it's pretty much represented the status quo <laughs> it's commitment. It's like you have to step away from your job, you have to move to another city, you know find your housing, pay for the program, do your practicum. Right. Does
2: this come, does your application come with a lottery ticket? Because I think that would be helpful.
0: (laughs) That's a great idea.
2: If you could work with with some sort of national lottery body, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that would be great.
0: But, you know, people
3: do make it work. You know, we obviously people have made it work for years, but it has been very stressful because you have to have a practicum and the practicum can be paid. You know, it can be that you're working as you know an assistant high school coach or coaching someplace where you're getting paid to coach six days a week because you need someplace where you can go back and forth between the classroom to real-life ap- application and back in the classroom to discuss it. But a lot of people want to do volunteer, um, volunteer, uh, assistant volunteers. So we've, mm. we've had people at pretty much all the big um all the big teams in Boston, whether it's at Harvard or Radcliffe or BU, um, Northeastern MIT, you know, we've had people do practicums at all those organizations. Mm-hmm. And that can be super valuable because even if you want to go out and do what Katie's doing and, and build a new rowing club that's primarily recreational and high school, seeing how they build their culture at BU or you know Northeastern or whatever is really valuable and taking of that to your community to, to apply it.
0: So yeah. last, last year, when we spoke with Aisha Raffaei, uh, yeah. and she talked to us about her, uh, time at IRL, one thing that she said, as well as, uh, Mitch said, when we talked to him for this episode was they really were impressed by, um, the folks that came into the program to mm-hmm. speak. and to teach and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that who might we come across if you're a student uh who's teaching who are you networking with like you talked about before
3: Mm -hmm. yeah it ranges from um like classes like exercise physiology biomechanics um sports psychology nutrition we have people who are either phd PhDs coming, maybe they're already teaching, maybe they're at the end of their PhD um, from Brown, from BU. Um, We have Dan Bouchard, who teaches biomechanics, who's a teacher up in Canada. He's also one of the Hudson guys um, that teaches our biomechanics class. Um, We try to get a mix of people who are not necessarily rowers who teach some of these classes like physiology is um, uh, Andrea who's from Brown and she's not a rower she's an ice skater um, but she's a she's a physiology teacher so um, but we also get for some of our other classes when we do uh, higher level advanced coaching advanced athletes and training and technology a lot of times we just I, I think in the past we have had somebody who runs the class, but then they bring in, you know, Jebby Stone's coach, Greg, her dad, and he teaches Mm. the class for a day. You bring in, you know, the BU coach for a day. He coach, he teaches, you know, his stroke for a day, bring in someone from Harvard, they teach. Then we just try to bring in as many coaches from the immediate Boston community as we possibly can. and that tends to be pretty easy to do, whether they're gonna give a class on, as I said, their, um, uh, you know, co- their coaching style, their leadership style. We do, um, you take a class on recruiting. Um, we have, we've in the past had a couple of Boston area coaches teach the recruiting class, um, strength training. Uh, in the past, we have had <clears throat> um, the strength training class do some work at CRI in our strength room, but then they would rotate and visit four or five different colleges in the area and say, well, how do you run your program? BC women, they're right there at CRI. We can see how they run their strength training program, Right. Um, go to the Harvard you know, athletic facility, see how the men do it, see how the women do it. And then also maybe visit, see a good CrossFit box and say, well, how do you do your strength training program? Well, then of course, if people have a practicum, which they have to have, Um, If they're not doing it at CRI, that's just a whole nother level of kind of really getting inside an organization and understanding how they run their programs. Um, So we try to just integrate outside people in every single class as much as we possibly can.
2: Um, Rachel and I talk a lot about how there seems to be um, CRI, IRL. And there's U.S. Rowing Level 1, 2, and 3. And we know that the U.S. Rowing Convention is happening while we're recording this podcast yep. episode this week. Of course, when it comes out, it will be over. But um, those are our basic go-tos. You know, there's obviously books out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to have the Joy of Sculling Conference. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but rowing we're... Talks.
2: Rowing Talks, uh, webinars, uh, various webinars. Happened a lot during the mm-hmm. pandemic uh, from U.S. Rowing. But it's just exciting to see what has changed over the last year. and it sounds like CRI IRL is definitely had a, t- a chance to take a step back and reflect and learn and you didn't operate during lockdown, but you're going to be kicking off in 2022. Mm-hmm. 2022 in there'll probably be
3: um, what I'm calling like a preseason at the end of August and then um, the it will start in the fall.
0: CB, this has been fantastic. You have taught us a whole lot about CRI and the IRL, and we're really looking forward to helping to spread the word about coaching education, and specifically what you're offering up there in Boston, because we think it's fantastic.
2: Sure, absolutely.
0: Excellent, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you you
2: so much. All right, have Have
0: yourself a great afternoon. We'll talk with you soon. All right, see you later. Thanks, bye.
2: As coaches ourselves, we're always looking to expand our rowing knowledge, We've both daydreamed about dropping everything and spending a year in CRI's Institute for Rowing Leadership. Our next guest actually did it. After 30 years as an award-winning television and advertising writer and director, Mitch McManus decided to pursue a lifelong passion for the sport of rowing. Following a move to Boston from years living and working in Australia, Asia, and the US, Mitch was accepted into the Institute for Rowing Leadership in 2019. He's gone on to coach scholastic programs And was just recently named rowing director and head coach of shrewsbury high school in massachusetts mitch here's the question how's your rowing week going
1: so i've just been appointed head coach and rowing director at shrewsbury high school uh this week's been getting to know the captains we set up a group chat uh and organized a meeting for the winter training session next week so that's been my rowing week this week
0: well congratulations on the new role that's exciting Thank you. So we're really interested in rowing origin stories. We want to know how people got involved in this sport. Sometimes, you know, it's this random thing that nobody's ever heard about. And then all of a sudden, next thing they know, they're in a boat. So how did rowing come into your life?
1: Well, a a random thing that they didn't know about pretty much sums up my experience. I discovered rowing as a 12-year-old boy in Sydney, Australia, where I grew up. Uh, The school I was going to, Shore School, um, was a, a private boys' school. And uh, back in the 80s, as I guess it was, most of the uh, around the world, the, uh, the domain of rowing is pretty much the, the private schools who could afford to buy the boats. And, and that's what the programs was. And that's how it had been for, um, gosh, over 100 years by the time I got the, uh, to the school. So in year seven uh, at Shore, uh, every boy was required to play a sport. For The, uh, the headmaster was a, an ex-rugby captain uh, of England with his firm belief every boy uh, they, they would be made by playing rugby. Um, so, uh, at that time I was like 90 pounds wet, um, uh, all the probably four and a half foot, uh, mm-hmm. and rugby was not my thing. No? Um, <laughs> no, the, in the summer, um, there were tryouts for rowing. I discovered that in rowing, there was this seat at the back of the boat where these little tiny guys sit, um, and you just go around and go fast and, and be on the water. Uh, I love being in the water. Um, I was born on a houseboat in on Sydney Harbour. Um, I'm an Aquarian. Uh, I love everything about water. The, um, so I, I went down and tried out for rowing and absolutely loved it. I finally found this seat and went, wow, this is my sport. Um, so that was my introduction to rowing.
0: Yeah, So Mitch, actually I actually had a question going back to your early, early days with rowing. Um, you knew that you were small then, and you knew that there was a small person that sat in the boat uh, that turned out to be a coxswain. Did you see the sport and say, that's what I want to do? Like, I want to be that person steering the boat, or did you have your eyes set on getting in a boat and rowing?
1: No, I, I had my eyes firmly set in uh, being in the back of the boat. The uh, I was never going to... to uh, amount to any success with an aura in my hand um i, I can row not not terribly well i'm still in contact with uh, all the guys in my in my 1v boat from school um 35 years later mm-hmm. and uh i'm I'm as wow. I'm as big, certainly as heavy as uh, as most of them now.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. So they didn't ask you to cox that alumni boat. Presumably. Yeah, no, I was
1: in the I was in the seventh seat.
2: <laughs> do you remember the first time they put you in that seat? And do you, was it a was it a bow loader or was it just a stern loader? It was a stern loader. Into? So
1: it was an old in uh this was uh, gosh, nineteen eighty it was. So it was an old um I guess it was like a timber version of what a coastal fall looks like today. It was like a, it was a tower.
2: They give you the headset and everything.
1: Yeah, no headset. No, we had um, a like a, a plastic thing around, around your head with a, with an aluminum uh, cone out in front. Mm-hmm. Until I got the 1V, we didn't have electronics at all. There were no Cox boxes. Mm-hmm. It was a, um, a hastily prepared kind of a thing and a, a plastic um, lunchbox that was uh, some electronics inside and a microphone plugged into it and some speakers in the boat. There was nothing uh, as glamorous as uh, Cox box and yeah. um, so- strike rates and all that stuff. <laughs> Again, back in those days, the, the boats were were uh, timber um, and uh, heavy as a heavy as a log. Um, yeah. But you know they were beautifully beautifully made boats and a and a joy to be in. But uh, nothing close to a you know a fully carbon fiber Hudson USB that's running around today. Uh, in the one V, we had uh, it was a timber shell with a, an aluminium skeg, and we know we knew when we would hit. I mean, I had no no uh, splits or anything. Display It was just it was you know, me looking out of the boat, but we knew that boat was flying when the fin started to vibrate, mm. um, and it was sort of you know, sort of that was the the boat was humming. So and the whole the boys could hear it through the boat. So I could hear that fin humming on the uh, on the stroke. Uh, you know, it was going. So so that was our. Um, that was our 1984 uh, split meter, <laughs> the <Yeah>. humming fin.
0: <laughs> uh, Mitch, the reason that we wanted to talk with you today is because we are really interested in coaching and coaching education. And you know, the U.S. Rowing uh, annual convention is coming up. We know that that convention is the place that people go to get level one, level two, level three certified. But we're also really interested in other places that people go to get educated. As coaches. And so we found that you had attended um, CRI's Institute for Rowing Leadership. And that's a big thing that we wanted to talk with you. But before we get there, the fact of the matter is you had this long career that you touched on 30 plus years uh, in broadcasting and marketing. And so we're kind of wondering how you moved from that into coaching.
1: Okay. Uh, good question. Uh, and there's, there's a logical answer. Um, for the last, I want to say, 15 years, we've bounced around the world. We lived in Australia, uh, in Asia, uh, the USA, then back to Australia, and then back here again. Uh, and through most of that time, I kept up. Uh, I still have a company in Australia, a film production company. And I kept up doing uh, broadcast work and film work, uh, doing mostly commercials. Uh, and then on our last move back to um, the USA, which was in 2016, 17, I was directing at one of the networks in Australia, uh, and my wife was offered a um, a C-level position, senior level position, back in uh, the USA, uh, whose head office is in Boston. Um, and it was an opportunity too good to pass up, so we went, all right, um, kids were going back to Boston. They're like, oh. Um, but the promise we made to them was, well, we, we didn't have to go back to Boston. The, the, uh, the position was such that it's a global role and she could be based anywhere she wanted. In, and it had to be in the USA. Uh, so we could have picked anywhere. And it would have been great for me to go to LA or New York where sort of the, the film and TV world is, uh, is located. Uh, but we made a promise to our three kids uh, whom we dragged around the world for a decade um, so the deal we made was, if we go back to America, we come back to uh, Boston. They go to the same. We live in the same town. They go to the same schools and, and connect with the same friends again, and many of which they kept contact with uh, for the three or four years we're in Australia anyway. Um, so true to our word, we, uh, we came back to Boston. Um, I had a look at a couple of places here. Um, you know, I went chat the networks, uh, and it pretty quickly became apparent that the um, where I wanted to be at, uh, where I was at in, in my film and TV career um, was a long way past the sort of local news and, and cooking shows. It was time to sort of, I guess, have the luxury to look at, you know, what else I might do. Um, at the time, my daughter, uh, she was rowing at Queenwood School in Sydney. She fell in love with rowing uh, as I did. Fortunately, Boston not being the capital of film and television in, in America, but definitely being the uh, one of the central spots of rowing, mm-hmm. um, no shortage of places to row. So we uh, we asked around, and pretty much all uh, fingers pointed to CRI. Uh, she tried out and got onto the girls' varsity team there, uh, and that was my introduction to CRI. Being the rowing parent, uh, I'd go out and, and you know take photos every now and then, take out a a video camera or, or my stills camera and and um far away. So, um, yeah, so I, that was sort of that was my reintroduction to rowing uh, at an intimate level. One day, serendipitously, uh, an email came in uh, for Katie for one of the rowing parents' thing, and the bottom was a banner, and it was uh, uh, basically uh, uh, an ad for the IRL, uh, Institute for Rowing Leadership at CRI. And um, I foolishly clicked on it. Uh, next thing you know, I'm talking to uh, Wayne Berger, the head coach. We had you know, a, a lot of commonality. Uh, the next day i applied. My question to them was, like, seriously, is this for me? Uh, looking back at the alumni, they're, they're like, the kids have just, they all just graduated from college. They're all 22, 23. Um, I was about to turn 50 years old. It's like, mm-hmm. is this seriously for me? And we talked about what I wanted to do. And and, and my, uh, my love has always been coaching at the high school level. Um, If I can give back uh, and replicate the experiences that I had as a, as a kid and just the, the, the love of rowing um, for that age group, I can honestly say rowing made me as a person uh, in those teenage years. And it definitely made my daughter. Um, She's the most resilient, uh, toughest kid. Um, You know, you, you just don't learn that stuff. That's, you know, in in a boat uh, with, with crewmates, you, you learn some lessons and, and uh, we both learned those lessons. I really wanted to focus on the, the high school uh, and scholastic um, area of rowing um, to, you know, that was my focus. Uh, and uh, Wayne said to me, well, you know what, being the age that you are, um, that's going to be pretty successful for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. your age and experience will, will give you a, um, a step up above um, perhaps some of your, your, your younger peers.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting point because, you know, we've been talking about coaching development mm-hmm. in the last year and a lot of coaches have been lost to the pandemic, not as in they passed away, but because boathouses yeah. houses uh, condensed and, and shut down and uh, coaches went off um, into the ether and a lot of knowledge was lost. But um, I've always been a fan for looking at your whole rowing community and looking for the coaches potentially within the community. You don't have to come up in this very traditional way uh, into coaching. I didn't become a rowing coach until I was, uh, you know, in my 30s. And I had been a high school rower and a little bit of a master's rower as an adult and just loved the sport. I think we come at it at a similar place. And I think boathouses really should consider maturity, like actual maturity as a criteria.
1: With age, come to experience uh, mm-hmm. and uh, the lessons and the, the knowledge that I have from. Uh, running companies around the world and, and directing massive film sets, uh, you you just take that with you into whatever you're doing, um, and uh, that that has to help in some way. Um, I guess you know, doing dealing with organizational structure and um, planning stuff, planning. I mean, I, I did a trip with my one uh, B squad down to the Bahamas, and they're like, "You're going where to the Bahamas?" Like. Yeah, we, we twenty kids down and some chaperones, and it was an overseas trip, and it's like, but it was a walk in the park to organize, um, having organized shoots in Vietnam with crews that we had to smuggle in and um, sneaking yeah. film rolls in and out over the borders, and organizing equipment to arrive on a truck from France, like a, like a, a rowing trip is a walk in the park. So the, um, I guess the the experience that age gives. Um, no matter how old you are uh, you certainly bring to it there are, there are a lot of uh, benefits that come with that age and experience
2: and i love that you're going to be sort of speaking to our audience as someone who doesn't have a coaching background doesn't really have a rowing background as an adult or as a young adult or an adult but yet can acknowledge and recognize great communication skills great logistics great planning skills as being applicable and relevant to being a great coach. And I think that there's so many expectations of the path that people need to take to become a coach. Um, I think this could really open it up, you know, just even the idea that you go into the CRI IRL program. And I think we all have this a perception of that program that you need to have like this credentials list, you know, a mile long, or that that's the sort of the expectation. Um, and I love that you just, dove in. I love that you just took that chance and I love to know what is it about you that was like, okay, let's just try it. This is something I really want to do. You know?
1: Yeah. I think the, um, I've always held leadership positions uh, and I guess you can't be a a film producer and director without being to have some kind of leadership ability. And, and, but what I love most about my time in the film industry was, was being on set and, and leading a group of people um, to accomplish a goal. Uh, and, you know, whether it's shooting car commercials or I did a lot of sports commercials, it, uh, I think I've worked on every Olympics campaign from 1988 to Rio. Uh, the, only, the first one I hadn't done Summer Olympics was the last one. Um, but the uh, just being able to uh, work with people in a collaborative environment um, and to recognise strengths of people uh, and, and be fully fully cognizant of the fact that i don't know everything i'm not like i'm not I'm not the answer to to making it work and i have so many examples of of projects and things on commercials where uh, we sit down at uh, at lunchtime and say look this afternoon we're going to do this this and this um a problem's come up i love that collaborative environment where everyone has a uh has an ownership to the project and whether that's making a, a film or a television show or a commercial or, uh, you know, being a successful boat. It's, it's the same, it's the same thing. And I think the, the, what I recognize in, in a no for rowing is that it's such a team sport. There's no, there is no quarterback. Um, you've got to have nine people in that eight all working together. And each, each person's got something they bring to the, the table um, that can make that boat go as fast as they can. Uh, and recognizing uh, that each person has a voice and and has something to contribute um, is really important. You know, the head coach and the rowing director doesn't know everything, uh, and it's it's invaluable to have the input of assistants and, uh, and and athletes to to all build this thing that that makes the boat go faster.
0: Yeah, and I think that's actually really important for coaches to know. New coaches to understand that. You don't know everything, and that's okay. And it's okay to ask questions. You don't want to end up with your foot in your mouth because you've provided some incorrect information or are leading people down the wrong path. So being able to collaborate is incredibly important. I had a
2: question, and, and atypical. I would and say atypical. that it's very atypical. I think most of the coaching experience that I've had, um, it's very siloed, and there's a pride to yeah. having figured it out, like yeah. trial by fire. Here's the launch keys go figure out how the boat works. You know, I've had that happen many times and seen other coaches do that. I don't, I think we just need to take that step back and mentor. we need to mentor, we need to collaborate and we need to say, it's okay to share ideas. It's okay to say, Hey guys, I did this drill today to the other coaching staff. It didn't really go very well. What do you think? Like that's, that's not seen as a point of pride yet in the rowing community. And I think that's changing, which is awesome.
0: Well, I'm curious, uh, you you came into coaching with uh, a whole lot of leadership ability and skills and understanding about um, cooperation, but did you have any surprises that first year as a coach? Anything that really snuck up on you that you weren't expecting?
1: I wasn't expecting how much I'd love it. (laughs) Um, I really, I was kind of like, well, this will be this Would be a good, fun kind of hobby to do while, while we wait to move again. Um, and um, we we're sort of on a cycle of moving at least every two or three years. I think five years is the longest we've been in the one spot for, for decades. Um, so um, it, it was at the time, it's like this, will, you know, it'll be a nice, fun hobby. Um, and the uh, so it surprised me how much I loved it. Uh, and I think in the initial we are talking about, uh, when I was talking to the IRL about joining, they said, look, um, you, you know, it's, you know, that the coach's salaries, they're, they're not that great, right? You're a film director and, and, a, and, a, and a head coach that pulls apart. Like it's, it's going to be a substantial drop. I said, that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. And again, I was about to turn 50 where you really start to value things other than just the financial awards um, and I was faced with another you know two three ten years of of making commercials that are selling another hundred thousand units of a car or a burger or or trick people into watching a movie that they really shouldn't watch because it was complete garbage um, and it, that just became um, you know while it was fun and i, and I to this day I, I love uh, film and television production the um, i was I was surprised and and happily happily surprised by the uh, fulfillment and satisfaction I got out of, of uh, helping and training uh, my first crew, which was the novice boys at um, Romford Acton-Boxborough. Hey, yay, BAB. Hey, boys. The, uh, to this day, I'm still in contact with all of them. Um, I'll go and see them at regattas, uh, and I'm still writing college recommendations and um, chatting to them about all sorts of stuff. So uh, that was my introduction. That was my, my first, I guess, official crew uh, and that crew was just uh, – it was phenomenal. Uh, you mentioned earlier about the, the collaboration and, and, and talking to other coaches, um, hooking the, the IRL into it. That was one of the greatest things that came out of the, the IRL was uh, working closely with the other coaches in the class who I'm, I'm friends to this day with. Uh, the collaboration each day, and each of us had different programs. Um, uh, Tom uh, was coaching with the Harvard men. Um, Sid was uh, with Wellesley. It's a mix of collegiate and and, uh, and school, but mostly collegiate, uh, and some from pretty top programs. Uh, and I had the uh, the high school the novice you know, novice boys. Um, half the boat had never even rowed before. And I said to the boys when we started, "I'm going to treat you just as any coach would treat an elite boat. Uh, I'm not going to like I'm not going to dumb this down." I, we're going to go hard and we're going to see what we can do. Um, are you up for it? And they went, yeah, we're in, we'll go for that. Um, and I, I taught them techniques and did things that, that I'd learned in, in class during the day from, from Olympians and all and sorts of tips and techniques, but, that you should know what you should by no means be teaching a, uh, a freshman boy who's uh, his first year in the boat. But they were up for it and, and it worked. It was a good introduction. It was just a great group of kids to, to, to go with. So I think the, the collaboration of the coaches, be it from my classmates or coaches that came in to, to guest lecture, was very much a part. And I think if you ask any of the, the kids from IRL to this day what was the best thing about IRL, uh, and they would all say just a collaboration and, and networking with, the, with other coaches and just that transfer of knowledge. The coaching community uh, is, is, a, is a great thing. I love fostering it and, and being a part of it.
0: Yeah, we agree. I think that it is excellent to go get your U.S. Rowing certification. I love the notion of being able to find the time in your life, or the if, if it hits you at just the right time in your career to be able to uh, attend IRL. Um, but I think I heard maybe about a year ago that there was a poll taken of coaches who said that basically ninety percent of their education. And uh, their coaching education comes from speaking with other coaches, and uh, mm. and I would wholeheartedly agree. I've got my level two certification. I've done a whole lot of reading and and uh, on my own um, and studying, but the things that really hit home with me are kind of light bulb moments I have when I'm just talking to other coaches.
2: One thing I wanted to ask you was, you talk about this. Uh, you like Tom Rooks from our last episode, the fun first philosophy and i'm wondering um what's your favorite kind of team building tactic do you have any team <laughs> like do you do, do you any kind of fun innovative team building to make sure these kids are um uh, realizing you know it's not just about the work on the water it's about having connection with each other yeah
1: all the time and especially especially in winter i guess you can do two warm-ups one with fun and one without fun uh, i will always go for the fun one uh <laughs> my warm-up uh, on on any given day is the plasma car relay. So you'll have uh, red team and blue team. Uh, red plasma car, blue plasma car. Uh, at the end of the um, the stretch, be it I don't know 100 yards, uh, I was set up. A, I bought a giant um, Connect Four set. It's probably about I don't know three foot by by two foot uh, with sort of giant hockey puck kind of pieces. Yeah. I uh, split the uh, teams in two: red team, blue team. And there was a uh, the a plasma car relay, and you actually you had to push as fast as you can. Someone would drive the car uh, at breakneck speeds uh, down this down the, the straight. Uh, the person driving would grab the connect four-piece, drop it into the, the playing board, race back, and, the, and the, the, the driver would then go to the back of the line. The push would become the driver, uh, and so on. The aerobic workout those kids got racing each other, sprinting, pushing these crazy fast cars, to uh, to to win this Connect Four game um, was above and beyond anything they'd get just doing laps of the uh, laps of the gym um, as a warm up, um, and it was fun. We'd do medicine ball tic tac toe, uh, and, and even in the water, yeah. I have a thing called the um, uh, the surf drill, uh, where in an eight or even a four, a pair would sit out, and one of those people would stand up in the boat and surf the boat. I'm a huge advocate for. Uh, trying to find the fun in anything and and designing a workout or a, uh, a drill that includes an element of fun you know it's life's too short not to have fun doing whatever you're doing so find the fun
0: and I, a big piece of that is something that I've been thinking a lot about for several years is that rowing unlike other sports is is a lot of work and we call it work and we don't say we play, right? You don't play rowing. You play basketball, you play football. And just even being able to use that word play, I think is really fundamental in how we think about something. So the the activities that you've just been talking about are playful and playful for a time of life when kids need to be playing. And I love that you're incorporating that into your practices. I actually had
2: a coach refer to us as players. Mm-hmm. And I think she knew because she came from a, like a softball and soccer background, and uh, way back in the day, and it was also a swimmer, which they don't call swimmers players either. But I noticed there was a shift. I don't know why, but she, after thirty years of coaching, uh, decided to start calling us players and that we were players on the team. It was fascinating. It was, I, I love the idea of rowing being playful. I I love teaching learn to row to adults, and it's a lot of play. It's a lot of games. It's a lot of um, just joy finding the joy being in nature being on the water
1: even even work like there's there's a certain playfulness about putting two boats by by side and, and doing a, a three-mile battle paddle like it's it's fun how fast can you push each other yeah um, trying to you know practicing starts how fast can you get that split how low can you get it it, it, can you hit 50 strokes a minute out of the blocks and for that first hundred yards how fast what's the lowest split you can get and it becomes fun and but man it's hard work but it's it's fun and and the the celebration the joy it's like oh yeah we just cra- we just set a record that was our best split ever yeah um, yeah that was, was a, split, yeah. is yeah is a um is a thrill, or um, we have a drill called the Limbo Drill. Um, how low can you go? Um, where we would see how low on a, on a very still night in the river, coming back to the boathouse for the last you know, mile or so, see how low a rating they could hit.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, we uh, love that.
1: And the best we got to was uh, four, four strokes a minute.
0: Ooh, I love and to do that drill when I'm coxing, and I always uh, do that at the very end of practice. Yeah, we yeah. Do the spin and head back towards the docks. And no matter what the coach asks us to do, I'm like, nope, we're seeing how low we can go. And yeah, I, yeah. Oh. When well, you I get love.
1: so low, I get when we got to four, my my stroke coach, like the the, the watch stopped working. It was like, yeah, it's oh, okay, working. You're, you're obviously, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: And yeah, So yeah, we're yeah. like
1: counting seconds, and the just. Being out with those boats and laughing at each other. Yeah. And, and this, each of those four strokes were the toughest, hardest strokes those guys had rowed oh, all day. Yeah. And that boat was
2: flying. Yeah. yeah. you have to do full pressure. You can't do high oh, yeah. pressure. It's full yeah. pressure as low as you can go. I love calling it the limbo drill. We used to call yeah, it zen, zen rowing. That's beautiful. Well,
0: that's a great segue.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's um, yeah, that's um, make everything fun. Like this, yeah. even the work, it's it's fun.
0: The way that we like to wrap up our podcast episodes is with a rapid fire Q&A. Tara, you ready?
2: Uh-oh. Da, 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 rapid fire, so just quick answers here. Uh, all right, favorite drill.
1: Oh, limbo drill, how low can you go?
2: Uh, my favorite drill is I do
3: something called the tiny back and forth, where they just sit at the finish, blade squared and buried. The goal is to keep your blades buried and keep your blades moving.
0: For your rowers, to give them a challenge, 2K all eight on the square or 2K of all five and glides?
1: Oh, 2K five and glides.
2: Nice. Oh yeah, that's my style. Oh, I love the five and glide. Yeah. Huh, never done either one of those.
3: I think it's a trick question. Like It would depend on uh, which, which item I thought they could get through and, and
2: be in a better place. Uh, okay, uh, favorite coxswain command.
1: My favorite coxswain call is timing a call under an echoey bridge uh, and just dropping the hammer. So mm-hmm. thanks, Emily Dwyer, the Dwyer fire. Shout out to Emily. I'm,
3: I'm going to say something that surprises me that I didn't expect. Just something that surprises me that yeah. I didn't know was coming. Our coxswain this year at the head of the Charles, she did a, we had a little memorial ten, a couple of memorial tens in there and mm-hmm. it, that caught me a little off guard but it mm-hmm. was
2: motiva- it was motivating mm-hmm. yeah. that's good I think a good coxswain has some back pocket stuff saved up like they've thought about it it is yeah yeah they,
3: they don't show you all their cards right bef- before your race and then yeah
0: yeah because it's really easy to have the same hand every time as a coxswain and go out and say this is the course this is our start our middle move and our finish, but which can
2: be good because some adult rowers, especially, do not like surprises. Yeah. They want like the consistent uh, kind of thing. But then yeah. I, I agree, I love a good. I surprise. like a surprise. Yeah.
0: All right. Next question: As a coach out on the water, especially in chilly temps, do you wear a survival suit or a horse collar PFD?
1: Um, just a collar PFD. Okay. I've got this uh- fantastic <laughs> down jacket. It's uh, It's a. Uh, I want to say it's LL Bean. Uh, um, yeah. Anyway, it's it's like it's a. I often I say the you know, if if I become homeless um, and everything falls apart, all I want to keep is this jacket. Yeah. This this will this will get me through it. I could go it's and It's a like great a review. Yeah. <laughs> really good review.
3: <laughs> survival suit. I'm I'm the first person in a survival suit on the river and
2: the last person out of it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, me too. Uh, okay, uh, electric or analog megaphone, battery-powered or cone? Oh, I have a, I have a Blue Ocean, yeah.
1: Oh, electric.
0: And last but not least, coffee before or after a row?
1: Not at all. I am not a coffee drinker.
0: Are you a tea drinker?
1: Nope, never have been, never will be. Hot flavored water does not do it for me.
3: Oh,
2: before, yes.
3: Oh, coffee. Before. Yeah. Yes. Always. Some people
2: have, some people are very definitive in their response. like really? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah,
3: oh, I, yes. I have coffee as soon as I wake up. Oh, nice. And I run in the morning,
0: so. Yeah. To see photos of Mitch and CBE and to get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Did you know that Steady State is more than a podcast? We've got virtual events happening every week that bring together the rowing community from across the country and around the world.
2: Join our version of the post-practice hangout. We call it Coffee Chat, and we shoot the breeze about our rowing week, rowing in the news, and more for about 30 minutes every Friday. Won't you join us at 1130 East, 830 West on Instagram Live? Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation.
0: And are you looking for workout buddies to help get you through long pieces on the ERG? Join us for Steady State Sundays, the fourth Sunday of each month at 945 East, 645 West. Register for this 60-minute Steady State ERG workout and we'll provide cues and insights to keep you motivated along the way. Work at your own pace and then stick around after to talk.
2: To find out more about any of our events and claim your spot in our lineup, visit studystatenetworkcom slash events.
0: Steady State Podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Friedman.
2: And me, I'm Tara Morgan.
0: Between us, we have 33 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience and running successful rowing related enterprises.
2: Rachel is the founder of RowSource, the original resource for masters rowers.
0: And Tara is a founder of Seize the Oar Foundation, where they champion inclusion in a sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership.
2: Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rowsource and Seize the Oar.
0: In two, let it run. That's one, two, let it run.